This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. I'm Jenna Robinson, president of the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal and today's guest host. I'm speaking with Morgan E. Hunter, a research fellow at the Independent Institute and one of the authors of the Institute's new report titled, Is It Time for a 490 BC Project? Welcome, Morgan. So to start off with, just tell me what is so important about the year 490? Well, the, uh, 490 was the year of the famous Battle of Marathon where the Athenians almost miraculously single-handedly defeated the invading Persian Empire. So it seems sort of appropriate as a symbolic um, encapsulation of everything that's valuable for understanding our civilization and political institutions that uh, can be learned from studying uh, Greco-Roman culture and history. That's why I chose 490 BC. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So is it, would you say that's the beginning of uh, Western civilization as we know it? Um, maybe not the beginning, but definitely when it became kind of uh, impossible to ignore on the world stage. Mm-hmm. And so in the report, you argue that Western civilization, classic Greco-Roman culture, learning of the classics is just badly neglected. Um, but I remember reading the Odyssey and the Iliad in the 10th grade. Uh, you know, how bad is it really? Is that just not done anymore? Well, actually, the Odyssey is very well covered. Uh, from talking, from interviewing various university professors, I found that the Odyssey is probably the most frequently read piece of classical literature by high school students. So I do think that most students now are somewhat familiar with the Odyssey. It's interesting that you mentioned reading the Iliad, though, because that's much less well-known, less frequently read by students. It's very hard to generalize about what students are learning in 10th grade, at least in California, which was more where I focused on, because while the, the state has these extremely vague and general curriculum goals, unlike for middle school, districts are completely free to choose their own textbooks and set their own reading lists and curricula. So it's really impossible to say with confidence what students throughout California are learning in 10th grade. I can say that there are no statewide standards requiring students to learn ancient history at any point in high school. Although many students do read some uh, classical literature and translation in their English classes in high school at some point. But uh, when it comes to history, uh, and high school only deals with modern history in California, uh, students do learn ancient history in the sixth grade in middle school. And um, the problem is in a sense that the, the ideas for students to learn far too much ancient history they kind of rush through everything from the Paleolithic to the fall of Byzantium in one year, dealing with all the world's great civilizations. And from what I learned from talking to teachers and curriculum developers is that this is totally impossible to actually cover in any reasonable amount of depth. So teachers just kind of arbitrarily select the parts they feel like teaching. 
So there's no guarantee that students are actually learning the stuff that on paper they're supposed to be in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So what's the typical sequence then? They're learning ancient history in the sixth grade. What are the what are they supposed to be learning in high school if they're not learning, you know, anything about the classics? Well, in the sequence in California, and of course for every state it's very different. California is unusually good in having a year of ancient history. For example, Texas and for uh, Texas just covers ancient history along with all of world civilizations from the Paleolithic to the present in a year-long world history course. So I would say California is above average when it comes to national standards. But um, in sixth grade, students learn ancient history. In seventh grade, they study medieval and early modern. So kind of from late antiquity through the Reformation and the Age of Discovery. In eighth grade, they study American history up through the Civil War. In ninth grade, weirdly enough, there's no prescribed history curriculum at all. Students can just take whatever electives in the vague area that they want. And I've talked to people in the State Department of Education about why this is the case. Excuse me. The answer is that um, it's been that way for decades. It's, it, and the idea is that because students have a much greater degree of freedom about what courses they're going to take in high school, they need to have this sort of uh, free year in ninth grade so they can figure out what they're interested in or the like. Um, mm -hmm. Then in 10th grade, they study early modern history uh, up to the present, so, um, uh, world history, right, from the end of the early modern era to the present. In, in, and in uh, 11th grade, they study American history from the late night, from the Civil War, basically, to the present. Mm -hmm. In 12th grade, they take uh, government and economics. So actually, there's quite a lot of a potential free time that could be used to teach ancient history more effectively. So is, is, and, it's generally not an elective that students can choose? At one high school we looked at, uh, Palo Alto High School, which uh, was is one of the best high schools in California. One of the ninth grade electives that students could take was a course called the Humanities, which dealt with ancient history and literature, um, among sort of later literature as well. So a few high schools do have it as an elective in the ninth grade that students can take. Mm -hmm. So you know, I I would say this sounds pretty bleak. Students are really not learning the classics. They they're not given an opportunity to dive in. But other people would argue that focusing on Greece and Rome is Eurocentric. How do you answer those critics? Well, that's a very good question. It was one of the main uh, issues that the classics professors I interviewed had that, yeah, it, was it what, what's the justification for giving Greco-Roman history a privileged position as uniquely, rel as uniquely relevant or important? And first of all, I'd like to emphasize that I don't think that requires one to claim that it's somehow uh, considered by itself uniquely superior or more interesting to other great world cultures. Um, there's the idea of the so-called axial age, that roughly at the same time, all the world's great civilizations, China, India, the Middle East, Greece, all began kind of asking philosophical questions about the world at around the same time. You had Confucius in China, the origins of Buddhism and Jainism in India, the Old Testament prophets and maybe Zoroastrianism in the Middle East. 
and the pre-Socratic Greek philosophers all living in it within a couple centuries of each other. And so, uh, what, so, but I would argue though that it's just not logistically feasible as we see in the case of the California sixth grade curriculum for students to study all these great worthy civilizations at the same level of depth. And if you try to teach everything, you'll end up teaching nothing. And I think the justification for teaching uh, the, class, uh, the Greco-Roman world specifically is just that for understanding our own political institutions and kind of the culture in which as people living in America were embedded, that Greco-Roman culture is somewhat more relevant, that in order to sort of understand what's going on now, the issues and debates, you have to put them in historical perspective. As one of the professors I interviewed said, he said that it's like understanding the past, including the um, remote past of classical mm -hmm. antiquity, is like a picture with a three-dimensional depth in it. And if you're confined to just looking at the present, it's like looking at a two-dimensional uh, plane. Mm -hmm. um, another professor at Stanford had a very interesting comment. He said that every summer, he taught a course on Roman culture for, in Rome, and most of the students there were from China. And he said they were always very interested to learn about a very different culture and be able to compare and contrast it with their own. So he argued that, and he said that he thought it would be great if um, more American students could have the same ability to understand both. But in order to be able to fruitfully compare and contrast, you first need to understand uh, your own. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I might even go further and say that you can't participate in educated conversation if you don't know a little bit about, uh, you know, Greco-Roman culture. You wouldn't know the origin of the Achilles' heel, or, Precisely. or what is hemlock? Why do we? Why do we talk about hemlock being, you know, something you want to avoid? Um, so I think that it. I agree. It's it is very important, even just to have discussions with you know educated colleagues. Precisely, but, yeah. But you, another. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I don't want to interrupt. Oh, I just. Um, so, and another thing that's very encouraging that I learned from the professors I talked to is that there is actually a lot of interest among students in college in learning about it. Maybe not a lot of knowledge, but a lot of interest. They said that they're. There are very few majors, which is the only thing that universities really care about, unfortunately. Right. But that there's a lot of demand, actually, for courses about things like classical mythology or women in antiquity or athletics in antiquity. And, in fact, modern popular culture, like movies and video games, has actually played a major role in increasing students' interests in, interest in the Greco-Roman world. Well, that, you know, that's, I guess, one bright spot. Um, you note that there's a kind of a bigger underlying problem in some of modern education, and you say that it ignores content in favor of skills. And of course, Edie Hirsch has been banging this drum for many years now through all of his books about cultural literacy. Um, why do you think it's been so difficult to get content of any kind reintroduced into our schools? Well, my theory is that there are two kinds of answers, right? The historical and the conceptual. The historical idea, right, is it all goes back to 
of a segment of the progressive education movement in the early 20th century and the idea that history wasn't relevant to students. Instead, they needed social studies so they could learn how to function practically in modern society. And it was kind of connected to this rather elitist idea that it was in particular working class or non-white students who wouldn't find abstract instruction in history useful. Um, and we do discuss this history a bit in our paper. But I think the conceptual reason why it persists, this is just my own speculation, is that specifying what content to include will invariably be controversial. So I think the kind of anodyne, lowest common denominator idea is to focus just on skills. You certainly see that um, like in um, literature curricula in California. There isn't any fixed recommendations for books that students should read at any point. And I think in high school, they're required to read one play by Shakespeare at some point. But aside from that, it's just entirely vague verbiage about reading skills. Because, of course, if you try to establish a literary canon that all students are supposed to be familiar with, you're inviting an incredible amount of disagreement. Um, the Common Core, though, has definitely made the focus on skills uh, worse, in my view. Um, one of the most interesting things I did in this project was I systematically compared and contrasted the sixth grade California history textbooks from before and after the Common Core introduction. And it, especially I compared and contrasted one book that was written by the same author before and after. And it was really fascinating to see how the same book had changed because the, the revised version was much harder to read. It was broken up into this very hypertexty, disconnected, uh, lots of random inserts. It was just a, a pain in the butt to get through, whereas the earlier one was actually more of an actual story that might interest students, a continuous flow, and there were a lot more errors in the revised version, um, inc including some pretty great ones, like the Battle of Marathon being a naval battle. Um, yes. Yeah, that's, even I know that, and I am not a classical historian at all. Yes. Uh, so, um, the, the, uh, or, um, well, and another textbook, another post-Common Core one, they had, not the one by the same author, but they had one about how they made it sound as though the Spartans had, wa had won the Battle of Thermopylae, which you'll think a viewing of the 300 would have been enough to disabuse them of. It was very inaccurate about a lot of things, but not about that. Yeah. You know, that brings me actually to another question. You said it, you know, there are a lot of errors, but the first thing you said is it made it very boring. Um, but of course, history itself is full of thrilling episodes. History is not boring. Um, what happened? How, how did they make history boring? Well, I think they were trying to uh, do the lack of coverage of ancient history at a higher level in high school, I think, made them feel like they had to do it all in sixth grade. So the sixth grade textbook is kind of a slightly dumbed down high school textbook. I actually looked at the uh, Florida textbook. In Florida, they teach ancient history in high school. And the California middle school one is almost essential to it, just identical to it, just slightly simplified. Um, 
So it doesn't quite work because they focus on sort of trying to make it scholarly, mature, and they, they, they don't tell the entertaining stories that will really attract children of that age. Like, for example, the description of um, the story of Antony and Cleopatra manages to be unbelievably dull. They don't bring out its thrilling aspects. Um, and so if they can make uh, perhaps one of the most exciting and romantic episodes in history boring, you can, one can only imagine how they deal with the rest of ancient history. So what do you think the caused this decline of the classics? Because obviously, and you mentioned this in your report, um, a couple hundred years ago, the classics were higher education. They were what people learned and what they considered necessary to be an educated individual. And it, tell me about the history since then of what, what has gone on. Well, I think the decline of classics in higher education came about um, because in some sense, uh, classics at the university level became too scholarly and professionalized for its own good in some sense, that as new methods of German scholarship were introduced to America, it came to be seen as very esoteric and kind of useless compared to other uh, disciplines. It didn't have the same uh, immediate relevance. Um, the, the decline of classics at the lower level, though, um, uh, I think is probably connected more to the decline of history in general under the same impetus of relevance and usefulness. But I, I do think the idea that classics in particular was this kind of um, pedantic, pointless thing probably had a negative impact on the way classics was perceived at the K-12 level as well. Mm -hmm. So you, you said it's the, the decline of history explains a lot of what is happening in K-12. Why, why then did history start declining in K-12? Well, because, because it, it wasn't seen as relevant. There was this idea in the early 20th century and in part, um, that education should be about preparing students for life and specifically sort of for a career. It's actually very similar to a common view of what education is now and kind of the civic purpose of education was de-emphasized. Um, one of the main uh, leading lights of this change was a man named Thomas Jesse Jones, who in 1913, he was on this committee which produced this resolution which said that education needed to be relevant to students. And history, according to him, was not relevant to students. In place of that, students should be taught social studies, which would help children adjust to their life in society by teaching them practical skills they would need in the factories they would work in. I mean, that's a, No, continue, continue. Oh, no, and, and this was widespread enough that in 1967, there was an article that came out in an educational journal called Let's Abolish History which declared that no teacher at any grade level should teach a course in history as content. So when people lament how badly things are now in education, they should kind of put things in perspective. I don't think at least people aren't calling for the abolition of history altogether. We've kind of swung right. away from that extreme. Mm -hmm. Although I think we are, we're seeing 
the evidence that students who don't know history um, will become really misguided right now, I think, in the United States and in Europe. Uh, just a, no appreciation for the events of the past, uh, for the people of the past. And I think that, I mean, as you say, it's it's been worse, but I do think we're seeing evidence of that now. Would you agree? I, I do think a, a presentism and a lack of awareness of history are very endemic and bad things. But I would say that there's a lot of controversy, obviously, over the 1619 Project, but I do have to give them credit for recognizing that history is important and worth studying and still affects what's going on now. So it's better, I would say, than the kind of purely reductionistically practical education is only about job skills thing. At least they have the same sort of idea that it's important to understand the, the past to put the present in perspective. Um, then there's, of course, there's the whole controversy, though, of whether or not that understanding of the past is accurate. But I would right. argue that the, the main problem with education now isn't even the politicization of history, although that's also a concern. But this kind of excessive focus on STEM and skills and lack of interest in history of the humanities at all. So I think, you know, you, you point out that this is a problem in K-12. We know it's a problem in higher ed as well. And it's common to see stories in the news about how little Americans know about civics because there are surveys about that topic. Is there any available information about Americans' knowledge of the classics? Um, do we know? Um, can well, that, we quantify a, how bad it is? That's a really good question. Um, when it comes to students' knowledge of ancient history, the, uh, Hirsch did a, a survey in the 1980s where he asked students their knowledge of various basic classical things alongside American history and the like, uh, like awareness of classical mythology and history and stuff. And it was fairly dismal, um, but I don't think it was notably worse than other areas of history. Um, and in California, they actually did, before the Common Core, they administered a test in history. And uh, some of those questions were about ancient history. So I went to Sacramento and actually looked at the test questions. I was the first uh, person who'd ever done that. And I, it didn't seem to be that there was less knowledge of ancient history than of medieval or uh, early modern history. It was kind of the same mediocre level for all of it. Um, but overall, it was it was not really good. A lot of questions, only about 50% of the students got them right. And of course, they were multiple choice. So that was fairly right. dismal. So less, so in reality, less than 50% of the students are getting the questions right, if you can sometimes get them right by guessing. Um, I, I would love to see those data on the American public, you know, if they're available, because I know, you know, my own area is political science and Americans can't name the three branches of government. They can't name the five rights that are guaranteed in the First Amendment. Um, you know, there are a huge litany of things that Americans don't know that they should know. And I imagine that it is equally true or probably even more true for Greco-Roman history or even, you know, world history. Uh, definitely. Um, I, I would I would I would definitely ag agree with that. Um, another kind of uh, sign of uh, 
the current kind of consensus that ancient history in particular is irrelevant is the fact that um, uh, the current revised uh, AP world history now only goes back to 1200. So they, they've decided that anything before the late medieval period is totally irrelevant, <laughs> not worth studying. The, that's pretty shocking. And so there is no ancient history AP course that students can take? There's sort of a vague promise that there might be one in the future, but there doesn't seem to be any current sign of impetus to develop one. Before kind of public backlash, it only started at 1450. So pushing it back to 1200 is a slight improvement. Um, and actually one of the, 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 the president of the college board who made this change in the AP curriculum is one of the main architects of the Common Core, which kind of shows some of the ideology underlying the present Common Core. I see. Um, so a lot of this has been, you know, pretty grim. Uh, what is your solution? What, how can we make this better? Well, I think it has to be uh, ideally a two-pronged approach. Um, first in sixth grade, I think it's necessary to focus a bit more on uh, Greco-Roman antiquity specifically, being realistic about, about the amount of time and energy that students have, and in particular to write better textbooks that are more story-like, engaging, and don't try to cover stuff at too advanced a level, but instead print the legend in the words of the man who shot Liberty Valens, trying to sort of capture students' interest and give right. them basic cultural literacy. Uh, Ron Malore's The World in Ancient Times, which actually is a book of primary sources accompanying it, so it's not unscholarly, is I think a good example of a book that could really engage students at the sixth grade level. Mm -hmm. um, and then in high school, because it seems like you really do need to teach uh, ancient history at a more advanced level in order to prepare for a, a college level study of the humanities, in addition to the more basic sixth grade level to, uh, for basic cultural literacy and uh, citizenship. At the high school level, I would recommend um, introducing the already existing uh, uh, GCSE and A-levels in uh, classics and translation from Britain, um, which have been very successful whenever they've been introduced. They don't require studying the languages, which is a big kind of uh, expensive time and effort, and are very good texts and translations, so it's not really necessary. Uh, the A-levels would be very analogous to an AP class, whereas mm -hmm. the um, GCSE would be analogous, analogous to a, a non-AP class, and it, it I'm not sure how useful the electives in California actually are. Mm -hmm. I have talked to people in the state government who say that you can't do anything about them, but it seems like you could potentially have the GCSE level class be offered in ninth grade. And you wouldn't have to design it yourself. Um, it, 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 it can exist. You and could it's just import it. Yeah, yeah right. precisely. So I'm assuming that because you're you're importing something from across the pond that you didn't find any states that are getting this right here in the U.S. No, no, sadly. We, the other large states, like I said, I think Texas is worse than California. Florida does 
kind of teach ancient history in high school, but it uses the same textbook, almost sort of word for word the same as California. Um, and I looked at private schools, and on the West Coast, they didn't seem to have any real uh, uh, a teaching of ancient history either. On the East Coast, the private schools did teach ancient history, but really only in the context of teaching Greek and Latin. Um, the International Baccalaureate Program has on paper a pretty good ancient history program, but I couldn't find a single school that actually taught it. That's, that's not encouraging news, really. Uh, although I think there probably is one group of students out there who are probably, you know, interested and maybe even starting to get some of these resources, and that's homeschoolers. Um, we know that the homeschooling community is always the outlier. They want to learn more. They love history. Um, and I probably, I think they're probably anxious to find more resources. Is there anything that you can recommend for homeschoolers, uh, you know, at your, we're at, we, in, instead of waiting for California to make a change, you know, what can parents and students do oh, on their that, own? That's a really good question. Like I said, for younger students, I'd really recommend the, the, run, the World in Ancient Times series. Um, it focuses more on Greco-Roman stuff, but it actually does include other civilizations as well. And it has a whole book of primary sources so students can learn how we know about this stuff. But at the, the main textbook itself is told in a very engaging, uh, story-like way. Um, I think that would be very good for children of middle school age. As for children of high school age, that, that's a very interesting question. I'm not sure I found high school textbooks that stand out to me as particularly good. I guess I would recommend um, reading some of the classic works of ancient literature in, in translation, classic works of ancient history, kind of going to the primary sources. Um, is there a CLEP test available for, for homeschoolers? I know you have, I know homeschoolers a lot of time will take an AP class and do, do it that way, but if there isn't an AP, maybe there's a CLEP. Oh, I actually don't know. I, I should check that out. Um, a CLEP test, I, I, I will, um, I'll look that into that. Well, I, I found your report you know, really great, informative, um, you know, if a little uh, depressing. Uh, but I know others will want to read it as well. So tell us, where can we, where can people go to download your report? At, at the Independent Institute website, there's a link to it on the front page. So is that so independent.org? Precisely, yes. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much and have a great afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on.